still looking at the judges of Israel, and uh, we're I, I titled tonight "Unnecessary Conflict." Unnecessary conflict. Uh, last week we talked about a great victory for Israel, and then we looked at how Jephthah made a decision in haste that caused him not to be able to enjoy the great victory. Uh, Jephthah should have been able to sit around and rest and relax and be happy after God used him in that great victory. He should have been celebrating with his friends and with his daughter. Uh, He should have been enjoying the good time uh, that God gave him there, the time of rest after that battle. But his hasty decision there to make that vow and not think it through caused him unneeded sorrow. Uh, And and this uh, abruptly ended that happy or that good moment of that victory. Now, we went over that vow last week, and we talked about some of the possibilities of what happened uh, with the carrying out of that vow. We talked about how maybe he tried to sacrifice his daughter, and God stopped him. Um, We also talked about how maybe Jephthah didn't actually uh, do the burnt sacrifice, uh, but made her a living sacrifice. Uh, But one thing we didn't spend much time on last week was the possibility that Jephthah did exactly what he said he was going to do uh, in the original vow. And that's very much as possible as the other things that we talked about. Uh, he said in Judges, uh, or it says in Judges 11.31 that uh, he would give to the Lord a burnt sacrifice, the first thing that went through the door. And uh, a lot of people believe that he might have been thinking that some type of livestock would have walked through the door. A lot of times back in those days, uh, they had... Uh, some animals live in the regular uh, house with them. They would have a lower portion for the animals and an upper portion uh, for the people. So uh, maybe in his mind he thought, well, you know, this my favorite goat's going to come through the door when I get home or something along those lines. Uh, but he made that uh, vow there, and he said he was going to give it up as a burnt offering. Uh, and the first thing through the door was his daughter. And he said uh, in verse 35 that he couldn't go back on his word. And in verse 39, uh, the Bible says that he did what he said he would do. Uh, so it's very possible that it's all very literal. And, and while there's evidence uh, to the possibility that maybe there was a different outcome, uh, this, there is nothing concrete uh, that determines that it absolutely did or did not happen that way. Uh, I truly believe that it's a little bit of a gray area, uh, a spot in the Bible where God didn't give us the conclusive information on the facts there. And I mentioned last week that we need to be okay with that. Uh, and we must realize that in eternity, God can show us exactly what happened. Uh, and it can all be clarified then, uh, and if God so chooses to do so. Uh, but I also wanted to point out one more thing about that, and we'll move on today, uh, is that if Jephthah sacrificed his daughter as a burnt offering... Uh, the Bible does not say anywhere in there that God was okay with that. Uh, it doesn't say that if he did that, that God was pleased by it whatsoever. So that's just the last thing I wanted to point out about that. So moving forward tonight, uh, we will be looking at the last recorded information in Jephthah's life, and this will be in Judges chapter 12. So if you turn to Judges chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2 to start tonight, and we'll look at the conflict with Ephraim. And again, uh, remember that this is an unnecessary conflict here. So Judges chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over 
to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee, we will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered, ye delivered me not out of their hands. Uh, so we see here that there's a disagreement between Ephraim and Jephthah. Uh, Ephraim states that they are upset that Jephthah did not call them into action before going into war against the children of Ammon. Now, sometimes uh, people will do things that we don't like. That's just how life is. Uh, we see here that in the minds of Ephraim, that Jephthah did something that they did not like. Uh, in their minds, they felt like they should have been called into action. Uh, but they think that they were ignored. And they think that they were not called into action. At least that's what they're claiming here. Uh, they came up with this ridiculous punishment or payment for being ignored. Uh, they decide that Jephthah should be burned alive inside of his own house. Uh, I think that's quite extreme. Uh, I don't think that the punishment fits the crime in that situation. I think they're being a little bit extreme. Uh, and I think that's coming from a bunch of different emotions that they're feeling in that moment. But one thing, uh, one emotion they didn't feel there, uh, and one thing they missed was an opportunity to show forgiveness. Uh, if they really were treated badly, uh, they still should have done the right thing, and they should have forgiven the offender. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespass. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespass. Uh, we need to forgive others. Uh, when Peter asks how many times uh, that we should be willing to forgive our brother that offends us, uh, Jesus says 490 times. Uh, his point was, Jesus' point was, keep on forgiving. Just keep on forgiving. Uh, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, Jesus was the ultimate example of forgiving others. Uh, yes, Jesus forgave us. Uh, Jesus forgave all of us and others that weren't all that bad, right? Uh, Jesus forgave people that never really directly did anything bad to him uh, on a personal level. But Jesus also forgave the ones that nailed him to the cross. Uh, Jesus forgave the one that pierced him in the side. And that is true forgiveness. And that forgiveness comes from love. Uh, Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We need to love each other. And if this love is pure, it will carry with it forgiveness. Uh, the children of Israel have a disagreement and we will see shortly that it rises to a very great conflict. Uh, this all could have been avoided if they had just shown love to each other and forgiveness that goes along with that love. 
Uh, we can be just like the children of Israel, though. Uh, sometimes we disagree with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, sometimes we disagree with the people here in our church. It's happened before, and I can say with pretty much certainty that it probably will happen again unless Jesus comes back in the next minute or two to take us up to heaven. Uh, then maybe not. Uh, but each time we disagree with someone, each time we disagree with a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to show them love and forgiveness, uh, just like Jesus told us to do. And when they do something maybe that offends us uh, or we don't like it, then we have another opportunity to forgive them again and again and again and again. If we truly love each other, if we really truly loved each other, we would be willing to show this kind of love and this kind of forgiveness to each other. Uh, Ephraim decided that they would not show this kind of love and this kind of forgiveness to Jephthah. They decided that they needed to punish him for and, and not forgive him. Uh, they decided that their agenda, what they wanted to do, was more important than doing the right thing. Uh, Ephraim uh, accuses Jephthah of not calling them into battle against the children of Ammon. So let's see what Jephthah's response was in verse 2 again. Judges chapter 12, verse 2. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. Uh, so this is Jephthah's response to them. Uh, first, Jephthah acknowledges uh, or lets them know that they were in a very bad situation with Ammon. And they had to go to war. Ammon was coming against them to fight against them. Uh, so uh, Jephthah saying, this is a very bad situation and we have to go to war here. Uh, we have to protect our people. But then Jephthah disagrees with Ephraim and says that he did call them uh, to help them, to call them to come into action there and help them. But they, Ephraim, ignored his message. Now, we don't really have the record, any record of the calling of Ephraim for this instance here, uh, but it seems that uh, Jephthah had called them into action and they didn't come. Well, obviously they didn't come, but it seems that he did call them into action. Uh, so Jephthah, when they didn't show up, he took his army and he went and defended his people of Gilead, who was being attacked by the children of Ammon. Well, notice here that Ephraim is coming to confront Jephthah now, after the battle is all over. Uh, look at verse 3. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore, then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me. Uh, so, see, they're coming now. It's all over. They couldn't bother themselves to get there any faster to maybe possibly help in this war. Uh, they waited until the coast was clear. Everything was done. The dust has settled. And then they show up starting to accuse Jephthah of not using them in this battle. Also notice, uh, if you remember, this was not Ephraim's first time of accusing a judge of Israel of not using them. Uh, they, they accused uh, Gideon of this very thing. Turn back a couple pages to Judges chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou calledest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. 
So this is when Ephraim complains to Gideon about him not calling them into war at that time. Uh, I think some people just will always complain. I think that's just what we're seeing here. Uh, their hearts are not in the right place, so they complain. I think that's what the problem is. Also, notice that this seems to be, at least to me, a very silly thing to be upset about. Uh, both times, Ephraim was mad that they were not invited into a war. Uh, I would not be upset about you. You want to go to war without me? That's fine. You know, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, it seems like they should have considered it really a blessing uh, and not something to be upset about. Isn't it interesting what people get upset about sometimes? Uh, I, I think it stems from a root of jealousy in this case. Uh, they seen the battle, and in, the battle was won by Jephthah and the men of Gilead. Uh, and now that it's all over, Ephraim's thinking about this, and they are getting jealous. Uh, they're jealous that they weren't part of the victory here. Uh, Proverbs 6.34 says, For jealousy is the rage of a man. Jealousy is a form of anger, really. Uh, the Bible tells us in Psalms 37.8, Cease from anger. And forsake wrath, fret not thyselves in any wise to do evil. Uh, we should not be getting angry. Uh, we need to get rid of this anger if it shows up. And we need to get rid of any wrath or evil that it might cause us to do. Uh, Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Uh, we would be wise and better than mighty, many mighty men if we were able to control our anger. Uh, Ephesians 4.26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. So even when we do become angry, uh, we know that there is uh, anger that's not a sin. Uh, God himself becomes angry uh, when people don't obey him, when sin happens, and that's not a sin, but it's what you do with that anger that can be a sin. Uh, and Ephesians 4.26 is talking about that. It tells you not to be or not to do something sinful when you are angry. Uh, this emotion and when it rises up with you in you, it can cause you to sin. Ephraim here, they're jealous. Uh, they're angry that they uh, did not get invited here. They weren't part of the victory uh, that's being experienced right now. And they go and argue with Jephthah, and they threaten to burn him to death inside his house. So even if the men of Ephraim were right, they did nothing right in this situation. Even if their argument and their complaint and their side is completely right, uh, nothing they did to handle this situation was right at all. Uh, jealousy will cause you to create division. Uh, it'll cause fighting and it will cause strife. Uh, we need to make sure that even if we are wronged, that we are as much like Jesus as we can be. We need to forgive and not cause any more issues or any additional pain or trouble along the way. Amen. Now let's look at the battle between Gilead and Ephraim here. Let's look at verse 4, Judges 12, verse 4. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim, because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manessites. I, I like that they just brought their brother into this here. The Manessites just 
out of nowhere, you know, brother comes along here to, to help him out somehow. I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't study how that got brought in. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, Ephraim, they come to fight against Gilead. Uh, we see that and we know that because of the last phrase of verse 3. It says, ye come unto me this day to fight against me. Uh, we see that Ephraim is coming to Jephthah and to Gilead here ready to fight. That's what they came to do. They didn't come to make things right or to heal things or make things better. They came uh, to fight. Uh, then they call the uh, Gileadites uh, fugitives. They, they treat them like criminals. They're thinking that they're actual criminals here. Uh, Ephraim didn't care that Jephthah uh, had to say that they... Uh, Ephraim didn't care what Jephthah had to say. Uh, they didn't care about the truth. Or what really happened here. Uh, they were going to believe what they wanted to believe, no matter what the truth really is, because they came ready to fight. Uh, sometimes people just won't listen to the truth. They don't care about reality, uh, what really happened. Uh, they don't care about anyone or anything but themselves. Uh, when they get to this point of being jealous and being angry, and then they're ready to fight. We need to guard ourselves against becoming like this. Uh, any one of us can become like this. Uh, one way to guard against this is to take an inventory on ourselves and on our motives and on our actions on a regular basis. Uh, we need to make sure that we're making things right with others uh, and with God when necessary and make sure our motivations are out of love and not jealousy or anger. Uh, if we do this, it will be much harder to become like Ephraim and accuse people of things and attack them and come ready to fight with them. Now, when a situation does arise, we should come with the right attitude of trying to make it better and not trying to fight or trying to prove a point. Uh, we need to be forgiving and loving towards others no matter what. Uh, we see in verse 4 that Gilead smote some of Ephraim over all of this. Now, this all started with this issue of not calling them to the, to the battle. And again, they're disagreeing over this. This is all a disagreement here. This all started over a very silly issue. And now we have people dying over this. Uh, isn't it that how it always seems to start? We have Christians serving God together for years. And then there's a disagreement. And next thing you know, there's fighting. And maybe today, we, the day we live in today, there's not literal people dying, but there are many spiritual casualties along the way. When, when we have fighting and when we handle these situations wrong, we have believers that fall away from God over it. Uh, we have believers that stop serving God. Uh, we have churches that split over these silly disagreements. Uh, we have lost souls that are not getting reached because of all of this. Uh, when fighting happens between the children of God, it always causes less of the gospel to be spread. Uh, churches that once ran a thousand and had hundreds showing up for outreach, they have a fight and they have a split. And now they only have a few people showing up to outreach. They're, they're not reaching the lost like they did in the past. And I know this for a fact. I know of a church, very specifically know of a church that this happened. They were running close to a thousand, had an argument, 
didn't settle it properly. The church split. Both sides of them run under 200 people now, and they barely have anybody show up for outreach. And it's all because of a disagreement that wasn't handled properly uh, along the way. In Jephthah's day, literal lives died. Today, we have souls dying and going to hell, and they're not being reached because we get so distracted and so busy fighting amongst ourselves. Now, let's move on uh, to see a little bit more of this battle. Uh, Look at verse 5. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto them, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said, Nay, then they said unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. So we have Gilead here, and they reach the passage over the Jordan River before Ephraim gets there. They control the pass through now, and they basically start sorting through the people that want to get through there to determine if they're from Ephraim or not. Uh, They use a word that Gilead pronounces Shibboleth, and Ephraim pronounces it Sibboleth. So the way you pronounce words is very important, apparently. Uh, We see here how our speech can reveal who we are. Uh, Just like our accent can show where you're from, our speech, or more specifically, the things we say, can reveal what's in our minds and what's in our hearts. Uh, Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And 1 Timothy 4, 12, let Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word. And it goes on to say other things, but I want to focus on this part. It says, be an example of the believers in word. Our words are important. Uh, we need to be so full of the things of God, of worshiping God in church and in our personal life, of reading and studying the scriptures, and so full of prayer time with our Heavenly Father. We need to be so full of these holy things that our words will show it. We need to go out into the world and people see us and just know when we start talking that we're not of the world. Uh, They should be able to see us and hear us and know that we're different, uh, that we're from uh, the family of God. Uh, You see, when we are full of the world and the things of the world, our words will show that. If we're full of the things of God, our words will show that. Now, the men of Gilead Gilead here use a word to figure out who it was that they were talking to and who they were from or where they were from, and then they kill anyone from Ephraim. Now, the Bible says uh, that 42,000 people from Ephraim died. And again, this all could have been avoided if Ephraim would not have come uh, to Jephthah uh, with this attitude of wanting to fight. Uh, if they would have listened to truth somewhere along the way, if they would have exercised love or forgiveness, it all could have been avoided. Now let's look at verse 7 and we'll see Jephthah's death. And Jephthah judged Israel six years, then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. The last thing we see here in Judges about Jephthah 
is that he judged for six years and then he dies. Uh, it appears that Jephthah did not get years of peace uh, while judging like some of the other judges uh, experienced. Uh, we also see that the last couple events of Jephthah's time as judge, at least the ones recorded for us, uh, there is great conflict in these events, uh, especially with Ephraim here and then his vow that he hastily vowed. Uh, those two events in his life, uh, towards the end of his life here, show that, you know, he did not experience good and happy and peaceful time here towards the end. It seems that jo Jephthah was not very close to God uh, towards the end of his time of judging. Maybe he never was. We're not real sure. Uh, but Jephthah wasn't close to God when he's making these bad decisions towards the end here. Uh, and he wasn't rewarded with peace like some of the other judges that followed God's plan were. Uh, if you remember back in Judges 8 when Ephraim accuses Gideon, we read the first verse there, but if you remember the rest of that passage, uh, this is the same situation basically. Uh, but Gideon gives a good answer, a soft answer they say, uh, and is able to avoid this fighting. Uh, we need to stay close to God and look to God's leading in the situations we are in our lives so that we avoid unnecessary hard times or unnecessary conflict. Now I want to move on to the next three judges of Israel. We're going to look at all the next three all at once here. Um, we'll get through all three of them quite quickly because there's not too much recorded about them. So we'll start reading in Judges chapter 12, verse 8. And after him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel and had 30 sons and 30 daughters, whom he set abroad and took in 30 daughters from abroad for his sons, and he judged Israel seven years. Then died Ibzan and was buried at Bethlehem. And after him, Elon, a Zebulonite, judged Israel and judged Israel ten years. And Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried in Ajalon in the country of Zebulon. And after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, a Parathonite, judged Israel. And he had 40 sons and 30 nephews that rode on threescore and ten ass colts. And he judged Israel eight years. And Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, died and was buried in Parathon in the land of Ephraim in the mount of the Amalekites. Uh, so we don't know very much about these next three judges of Israel. Uh, we're just going to quickly sort through what the Bible tells us, the little bit that the Bible tells us about these three judges of Israel. Ibzan, uh, first here, he was the next one after Jephthah. He judged Israel for seven years. Uh, he had 30 sons and he had 30 daughters. So he has somewhat of a large family, possibly maybe uh, a wealthy family, judging by the, the size of the family. Uh, he sent out his children abroad, the Bible says, to take spouses. Uh, and this could possibly be an attempt to spread his influence throughout Israel. Uh, and to, to, to spread his family out would also spread out his influence and, and, and also the, his acceptability in other areas. Uh, and that necessarily isn't a bad thing. Uh, maybe this was an attempt to keep peace throughout the land of Israel and help the people stay close to God. We don't know. I, I just think that's a possibility. 
Uh, Ibzan was from Bethlehem, and he was buried in the town of Bethlehem, and, and that's what we know about him. Next, we have Elon. Elon judged for 10 years, and we don't really know anything about his family, except for he was from the family of Zebulon. Uh, this is really all we know about him. Uh, it's, it, this is probably the least known judge of them all. There's really not anything about him or his time or his family uh, written in the word of God. Uh, and God just did not think it was necessary to tell us anything else about Elon. And then the last of the three is Abdon. Uh, Abdon judged Israel for eight years. Uh, he had 40 sons and 30 nephews, and they all rode on these donkeys. Uh, this leads many people to believe that he was part of a wealthy family. Uh, again, a pretty large size family, so he probably had some money to you know, take care of them and everything. Uh, also, that many animals uh, would mean that he either purchased them or he uh, you know, t pays to take care of that many animals. So that means he probably has a lot of money. Uh, poor families probably would not have the means to buy and keep all those animals. Uh, again, that's just an opinion and an observation of his situation and the times that they lived in in those days. And that really is about all we know about Abdon as well. These three judges do not have very much written about them. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were bad judges or good judges. Really, we don't know. Uh, this just means that the Bible doesn't say much about them. Now, my opinion is that if they were bad judges, uh, their failures probably would have been recorded in the book of Judges. Uh, maybe not, but I, I think it's possible. Uh, I think that they probably had uh, not much going on during their, it's a total of 25 years between the three. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing, you know, and no bad news is good news kind of thing here or something maybe. Uh, but God didn't write anything else about them. Uh, there, the, God didn't think anything happened during their time that was necessary to write to us or to record for us. Um, but what if uh, God was still writing the Bible today, though, and our names were to appear? Uh, what would God have to say about us? These last three guys didn't get very much written about them. Uh, would we be like one of the great judges of Israel uh, where there's chapters and chapters written about us and how we were used by God greatly and we had great faith? Uh, will we be like one of the judges that really didn't do anything worth recording? Or worse, would we be a story that's written about that shows that we were unwilling uh, to do great things for the Lord? Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I would want something great written about me. Uh, if, if God's writing a book about Matthew Ham, I want it to be a great book. I want it to be a book that says all kinds of great things that I did. Uh, I wanted to say that Matthew led for years and years and years. I wanted to say that Matthew had great faith and Matthew led people towards God. And Matthew stayed focused on God and reached lost souls for God. I wanted to say that I served. Uh, that's what I would want it to say. Uh, the truth is that there are books being written about the things that we are doing now. Uh, there's, uh, you can read about those in, in different books and throughout the Bible. There are books in heaven uh, being written about things that we are doing now. Uh, it, it's, uh, we have the power of the pen in our hand. We can change what is written about us or if there's anything written about us in the books of heaven. Uh, when God opens those books and looks up my name, 
I desire to have great things written in there about me. Uh, and uh, the only person that can make that happen is me and the decisions I make and the things I choose to do. It's up to me to make my story great. And it's up to you to make your story great. So let's write a great story this week. Let's go out and do great things for God this week. Let's pray.